Good morning, everybody. It's Steph. Hope you're doing well. My God, it's beautiful and hot up here in Canada now. Woo-wee! <laughs> Dr. Phil said once, so hot out there, you just look out your front yard and watch a dog burst into flames. <laughs> so, hope you're doing well. Welcome to our new female poster. <laughs> Actually, let me rephrase that. That sounds like a uh, pin-up I'm putting on the wall. But uh, we had a uh, lurker. We've had a lurker, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a woman who's been on the boards... Uh, she started listening way back at the beginning of all of this in November of last year, and she's been lurking on the boards low these many moons, and now she has decided to make her voice heard, and I think that's great. I know it's tough for women, with all of us loudmouth chatterbox uh, head uh, guys uh, out there typing and posting and snarling back and forth. We try to keep it civil and pleasant. Uh, occasionally our emotions run away with us, but we're very, very uh, pleased to get women's perspective, I am all the more pleased because she is a mother, and that is a beautiful thing, of course, uh, when done right, and also uh, I aim to meet the young and also aim to meet uh, as many women through these uh, conversations as possible, so, and mothers in particular because they're the ones who are, uh, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, in my opinion. And so if I can meet uh, and talk to, or at least chat with women through these conversations who are raising children, so much the better. I think that's where the foundation of the future is to be found. And I'm not going to break into that Whitney Houston song about the children and the future, but don't think it hasn't crossed my mind. So this morning, we are going to talk about something a little bit technical. And I also forewarn you that not only is it a little bit technical, but also... It is something that I think might just be my idea. I'm not positive. I've just never read it anywhere. So it certainly is my idea. But I'm certainly uh, not going to guarantee you that it's only my idea. Other people may have arrived at this conclusion in uh, a different form or at a different time. And I'm just not aware of it. I'm not too sure of it because it seems to me like a fairly decent idea. And in my oh-so-extensive readings, I'm sure I would have come across it. So, the question of logic is a very interesting one, and the opponents of rational thought usually make arguments something like the following. They say, well, yes, logic is valid, but logic is conditional. And it's this way that they rescue faith and God and countries and all this sort of silliness that's out there from uh, rational critical analysis. So what they say is they say logic is valid, but you can't prove logic. So because everything that is logical rests on faith, i.e. a belief in logic that cannot be proven, and you can't prove logic, because in order to prove logic you have to use logic and you can't presuppose the existence of what it is you're trying to prove, right? So if I'm trying to prove to you that an orange exists, I don't say, okay, so the first thing we have to accept is this orange exists, and then I will prove to you that this orange exists. Well, that's not valid, right? I mean, that's begging the question. So you can't uh, say that logic exists in this viewpoint. You can't say that logic exists. You just have to accept that the laws of logic are valid, and you have to accept those on faith. Now, once you do accept those on faith, then everything else follows. Now, the problem with that, of course, and the reason that people make this argument, is they like to say, look, you, oh Mr. Logician, you take logic on faith, 
and then you reason from there and everything makes sense if you accept that logic is valid on faith I accept that God exists on faith and reason everything from there and everything is perfectly valid once you accept that premise on faith and this is uh, true for all these other things as well the family and the state and all this other nonsense so what they do is they attempt to say that logic and faith are equivalent because they both require a leap of faith to begin with logic and belief in God belief in logic and belief in God both require a leap of faith to begin with and after that it all makes sense so they're attempting to bring their belief in God to the same metaphysical or epistemological level of accuracy that logic and science have and uh, they've done a very good job this has been something that has uh, kept uh, faith alive uh, to a large degree for a couple thousand years certainly since Aristotle who first worked out these three laws of logic now obviously it for those of us on the rational side of things it seems weird like it seems like a weird argument but how do you counter the argument that logic requires a leap of faith to begin with that the validity existence of and validity of logic requires a leap of faith well I think that the answer there is obviously to understand a little more of the three laws of logic, and we'll go over them briefly in a little, uh, in a few minutes. But the goal is to tie the three laws of logic into physics. And if physics, through the sense like sensual evidence, if sensual evidence seems to be too much of a reach if somebody says well I don't accept the evidence of the senses even though they've listened to your argument then you can go one step further and you can tie the three laws of logic into uh, one's existence as a conscious being as a human being because if it is the case that the existence of a conscious human being necessitates or proves or I would say proves substantiates the laws of logic then you no more need a leap of faith to believe in logic then you need a leap of faith to believe that you exist it simply is it's an axiom but it's not an axiom that we have to take on faith it's back to Descartes argument that even if everything around me is uh, being manipulated by the demon I exist because I exist to be manipulated I think therefore I am now if somebody says you can't prove that I exist then this person is absolutely insane or completely and totally and utterly corrupt and so there's no point to discussing because if, if somebody is telling you that they don't think that they exist but they want to tell you this they want to convince you that they don't exist that that's just such a ridiculous thing to to say that nobody no no sort of no reasonable thinker is ever going to make that proposition because if they don't notice that something's wrong with that then they are really just out to uh, destroy your capacity to reason and I would spend no more time around them than I would a bear-hugging leper. So, I mean, I don't mean a leper who... Oh, that metaphor almost worked nicely, didn't it? <laughs> Not a leper who hugs bears, but somebody who hugs me in a bear hug. Oh, boy. You know, there's nothing better than a metaphor you have to explain. It's like a joke that if you go over it twice, people will go, Oh, I get it. So, let's see if we can't spend a little bit of time doing that. But before all of that, and I do apologize for those who've taken uh, this in school, I'll keep it very brief. We, our brothers and sisters, will go over the laws of logic 
in a very, very brief manner. And uh, Ayn Rand has restated these. I can't remember her names, but uh, basically it's it comes out of Aristotle, and it is one of the crowning achievements of human thought, and it's well worth uh, understanding them. Now, I'm going to have to be slightly technical here. Um, I'll try and translate it into something that's a bit more practical, not because I think you can't handle it. It's just that I remember when I was learning these, I was like, bah until somebody translated them for me, so hopefully that will be of help to you as well. So the first is the law of identity, which states basically if any statement is true, then it is true. Or every proposition implies itself. A implies A, or as Ayn Rand restated it, A, a is A. So if, if something is true, then it's true. Now, the way that I work with that is if I establish with you the proposition that taxation is violence, then that proposition is true. If you uh, follow the steps of logic and you don't get to choose, right? We don't get to choose these things, right? No more than we get to choose what the law of gravity is. We can understand them or not, or we can accept it or not, but we can't choose choose it, right? So when you're proving something to someone, it's not you trying to dominate them, it's just you running them through the steps and you should always be open to correction and if the proposition is proven, then it's not up to you whether you accept it or not. I, mean, I always love it when people get mad at me for market anarchy uh, ideas or get mad at me for saying, yes, everyone has the right to own nukes. Like it's my opinion. I mean, <laughs> I mean I've got a pretty strong logical case for it, and nobody takes issue with the logical case. They just get mad at me and say, oh, yeah? Well, what about Hamas suicide bombers? Are they allowed to own nukes? You know, of course, this is all problems derived from the existence of the state and therefore can't be used to prove the value of the state. So anyway, um, uh, A implies A or A is A means that if I prove to you that taxation is violence and theft and immoral, then as we move on to some other debate, we can't then say, or you can't then say, but taxation is good, right? Because we've already established that. So if a statement is true, then it's true. It's just true. You then can't say something later where you ignore that and pretend that it's false. So there's a law of excluded middle states, I think, um, I can't remember what Ayn Rand called it, a law of non-contradiction or something like that, which states that everything must either be or not be, or everything is A or not A. And the way that I sort of work with this or understand this is that if I put forward a proposition, like a logical and verifiable proposition, then it's either true or it's not true. And I am myself, and I'm also not everything else at the same time. Right? So if you have a cat, it is your cat, but it's not also a poplar tree and a piece of furniture at the same time. Now, the law, sorry, the, that's the law of the excluded middle. The law of non-contradiction, or the law of contradiction as it's sometimes called, says that no statement can be both true and false at the same time. Or A and not A. It's a contradiction and always false. And that means that a statement... 2 plus 2 is 4, cannot be both true and false at the same time. So we've got the law of identity, A is A, the law of excluded middle states, everything is A or not A, and something can't be both, not, uh, both A and not A. So these are all pretty related. But this is all the foundations of Aristotelian logic, or just logic, uh, Euclidean geometry, uh, physics, the scientific method, uh, capitalism, all of the, the great things that have come out of uh, human society have come out of a uh, respect for these laws. Now, this is what the, um, the mystics say, or the statists say, we have to take on faith. And I would take issue with that. I don't think that we have to take these laws on faith. And I don't think that we have to uh, say, well, they're self-evident, but 
I have to take that evidence on faith that, that axioms are always perceived to rest on something wobbly. And the way that I think we can work this out is to simply say that logic is not an absolute. Right? The question is, is logic absolute? Well, logic is not absolute any more than the conclusions of science are absolute, or even the scientific method is absolute. So, for instance, the scientific method demands reproducibility. So if I perform an experiment like fusion in a jar, and I give you the uh, recipe, so to speak, then you have to be able to do it too. And if you can't do it, then there's something wrong. And the reason that reproducibility is important is that matter has the same properties everywhere. The same basic uh, laws of, of physics operate everywhere, and the same and matter has the same properties everywhere. And therefore, it really can't be the case that if I perform something in my basement and then you perform exactly the same steps in your basement at the same altitude, the same temperature, you know, controlled experiments, and you come up with the complete opposite result, then something's wrong with my theory because my theory is universal. So there is a requirement that. To the scientific method demand reproducibility. And the reason for that is that it was twofold. One is that theories of any value are supposed to be universal. Like if I say, my cat really likes to watch that fish, that's my theory. Well, it's more of an observation than a theory because it's not, I mean, it's predictive, I guess, for that cat. But there's no real statistics in it, and even if there were, it would only be for my cat, and who else would care, and so on. So theories which other people are going to want to invest time proving or disproving have to have some sort of universal predictive value. And so meteorology, that voodoo science, uh, has uh, claims to have some predictive value, and people invest a lot of time and energy into it and so on. And so uh, it has to be reproducible so that other people know whether it is a predictive and universal theory. And the other thing is that, of course, it is claiming to be a predictive and universal theory, and therefore one of the ways that you test universality is to try a bunch of things in a bunch of different uh, locations. So that, to me, seems to be a principle of the scientific method that is derived from an observation of how things actually are. So I, I seem to have the same arms from day to day. I have a couple of little moles and a little bit of hair on my forearms, and they seem to be my arms, like they're not replaced with hooks. Uh, I don't suddenly have bejeweled female arms. <laughs> I don't have tentacles from day to day, and uh, they're also not often replaced with electrical cables, so I seem to have the same arms from day to day. At a more subtle level, I seem to have the same personal characteristics from day to day, as I'm sure that you're aware from the nature of the podcast, that my, I don't, I'm not particularly moody, I mean, I have pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy, positive outlook on life, I enjoy my life immensely, and I have the same characteristics, like I don't wake up one day and say, uh, what's philosophy? <laughs> like if I learn something, it seems to stick, and I don't sort of open up my mouth for these morning drive and afternoon drive podcasts and have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? So I think that it's important uh, to, to sort of understand that my uh, physical nature, my personal nature, if, uh, follows these laws of logic. So I am myself. I don't wake up tomorrow and have, like I'm suddenly speaking German and know how to do the, the hula dance. My, my personal characteristics change to a small degree with some effort if I want to change something about my personality, but... You don't wake up with a different personality the next day. You don't wake up with 
enormously, wildly, hugely different personal characteristics every day. Right, so I'm not uh, buying uh, heavy brushes with the expectation that tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up with, I don't know, like a, a, thick, a thick head of hair and, <laughs> you know, that I don't sort of say, well, I don't know what length of pants to buy because tomorrow, like today I'm six foot tall, but tomorrow I might be seven foot tall or, or, or five foot tall. Like this just doesn't occur. So I am myself from day to day with the natural deterioration that occurs with aging, which I, hasn't hit me at all yet, but I'm sure will will come. I mean, I try and take good care of myself and exercise a lot and so on, but uh, at 39 years old, I do feel like I'm entering into the prime of my life, which is a great thing. Uh, so I am myself. My body is myself. My body doesn't change its nature from day to day. There are times where, uh, when I'm dreaming, that my body will change its nature, not very often, but occasionally. Certainly, my body will, the, the physics will change, like I'm able to fly and all that kind of wonderful stuff. And that occurs, but I know that it's a dream, and we've talked about this before, because everything contradicts itself. So when I wake up, I'm the same person, I'm in the same bed, uh, everything is exactly the same. If I lose my keys, I don't think, oh my god, my, my keys have achieved sentience and walked away. Uh, then I, or something, because I've got two keys on the chain, maybe they could sort of do a hoppy, jumpy thing. So but I don't think that, right? So the law of identity is something which we experience. I don't have to take it on faith any more than I have to take it on faith that I exist. I simply do exist, and I know that because I exist. Because I'm experiencing my existence every single waking moment and a good chunk of my sleeping moments. So that's not something that I have to take on faith. So if somebody says, well, you have to take logic on faith, the first thing that I would say is, well, do you have to take your own existence on faith, or is it just something that is? And so the second, uh, the law of the excluded middle, the second uh, law of logic, everything is either uh, must either be or, or not be. Everything is A or non-A. So I am myself, I am Stefan Basil Molyneux, for those who didn't know my middle name, yes, it's a spice, and also the name of the guy in Faulty Towers. I am myself, and I am not the car in front of me. I am not my steering wheel. As they say in Fight Club, you are not your bank account. You are not your khakis. You are not the contents of your wallet. And that's all true, right? I mean, the reason that that statement seems kind of powerful is it's kind of true, and it's something we forget, right? But uh, uh, I am not uh, myself and a poplar tree and an electric uh, cable and <laughs> a piece of grass and a cloud uh, simultaneously. Those things are all themselves and not other things simultaneously. So this is, again, something that I experience. I don't wake up in the morning and find half a frisbee jutting out from my breast. I mean, I don't find that I have somehow I somehow merge with the carpet when I walk. You will see that kind of stuff in particularly horrifying uh, films. Uh, in the outtakes of a film I thought was quite good, especially the second half, Girl Interrupted, there, in the outtakes, a girl sees her hand turn into a tentacle in the mirror, and uh, that's terrifying to her. And of course, it would be right when the nature of reality changes. And this is the problem that I had with um, Swept Away. I think it is uh, the, the Ghibli film that a, a friend sent me. Uh, that uh, everything's properties kept changing, and there was no uh, constants. And some animals walked on the ground, and some floated in the air. And uh, parents, uh, when you look, turned away and looked back, turned into pigs. And nothing had any particular, and that's a terror, that's a world of mental illness, right? It's a world of schizophrenia and uh, psychotic delusions. And this is a terrifying world because uh, your uh, basic reality processing is misfiring 
uh, or firing uh, in contradictory manners, and the fault is always with the senses. This is how we know that there's an illness. The fault is always not with the senses, but with the interpretation. I mean, usually. I mean, occasionally you can get illnesses which will affect the senses, but for the most part, it is um, with the uh, interpretation. So, the fact that I know that I am myself and not uh, a truck or a road sign or anything like that. Uh, I wonder where I'm getting my metaphors from this morning. <laughs> my metaphor seems to be still, <laughs> the generator still seems to be asleep. So that's how I know that the second law of logic is true. It's just based on everything that I experience in my life uh, and, and have experienced and will experience. Now, the law of contradiction, no statement can be true and false. Right? So A and not A is a contradiction and thus always false. And so if I say that my car, uh, my proposition is my car is both a car and a horse simultaneously. And that's what the proof of my political theory rests on, if you can grant me that stretch of imagination. Then we know that that's not the case. Because when I get, go down to uh, uh, get in my car in the morning, I don't think, gee, I better bring down a food bag of of uh, of uh, meal, uh, just in case my car has turned into a horse, and I don't think that my car has turned into a sentient carnivorous creature, and thus need to check the door hinges for new teeth and you know all of these. I've just you know uh, start my car up, and it doesn't uh, change overnight, right? The material properties of my car are fantastically stable from day to day to day, and so and and this is the same thing is true for me as well. So I don't think that I am both at home and at work at the same time, right? So if somebody says to me, like if I say to my boss, gee, I'd really like to work from home tomorrow because of X, Y, and Z, and then my boss says, no, 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 I need you here for a meeting, I don't then say, oh, no, I'll be both places. And he says, no, 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 not like a webcam, like I want you physically here for the meeting. I don't then, then, then say to him, well, yes, no, I understood what you said, it's just that I will be, in both, I will be working from home and here at the same time. Well, he's not going to go for that, right? And he would probably be a little bit worried about my mental health if I said something like that. And so if somebody says that you have to take this law of non-contradiction on faith, then I would say, great, if you can both sit in front of me and tap me on the shoulder from behind at the same time, then I will understand that it's a real leap of faith to believe in this. But if you can't quite manage to pull that off, then I'm going to have to tell you that you believe in it as strongly as I do. It's your experience, it's my experience, it's not something we have to take on faith because it is the nature of the reality that we agree on every time. Because for something to be taken on faith, there must be an alternative. And if in no time in our life have we ever experienced the alternative, and if science, physics, and empirical, uh, sensual reality, reproducibility, every experimentation all confirm the same thing, and if, uh, if somebody experiences themselves as a discrete biological entity from day to day without worrying that they're going to turn into a lamppost the, the following day, that if they're not taking out, I'm going to turn into a lamppost uh, insurance, right? Because we take insurance for, I don't know, cancer or things like that, life insurance, but we don't take insurance for, I'm going to burst into uh, flames and turn into a, a mythical bird that flies around, be, uh, um, be ground up into ashes, and then come back to life and so I'm going to need uh, some asbestos oven mitts uh, to work my computer, I'd really like to take out... I mean, people don't take insurance out for that, because that's not something that's going to happen. And so the laws of logic don't need to be taken on faith. And so you can say to somebody, 
if they say, well, you have to take the laws of logic on faith, but like, no, I don't have to take the laws of logic on faith any more than I have to take on faith that I exist, because my existence follows all of the discrete laws of logic. I am myself. Right? If I have a proposition that says I am myself, then I also can't have a proposition or an axiom which then says I am both myself and a turnip at the same time. I also can't have a proposition which says I am going to be both in Seattle and Nunavut at the same time. Because that's the, the, the law of, uh, of uh, non-contradiction states that I'm either here or I'm here. I can't be in both places simultaneously. No, I know I'm going to get some physics geeks who are going to write into me and say, well, yes, but you see, down at the atomic level and blah, 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 blah. Well, listen, you know, when people have come up with a uh, comprehensible theory, see, this seems to me, I mean, all of the sort of string, super string stuff, we'll talk about this more another time. I remember being pretty excited reading about it in my mid-teens. <laughs> i got to tell you now, like 25 years later, I got it just seems like a whole bunch of state-funded state noodling. Uh, and uh, I would sure love for people to be able to uh, prove this stuff in a logical, consistent manner, to have people stop arguing about this grand field theory that explains everything. I mean, all of that stuff is just its just state-sponsored noodling. It's all like this this climate change. I mean, there's a whole swathes of the scientific community completely addicted to state money, and I, it would seem to me that since no capitalists are funding this, that it's all just a load of nonsense. Uh, you know, I could be wrong. This is perfectly conditional. I'm certainly no one to make that final uh, statement, but... It just seems to me that uh, people coming up with weird and strange ideas of physics just have been around for, for a long time and have yet to come up with anything consistent and provable. And I know it could take some time and this and that, but uh, it will have to be logical and consistent when it's done, right? So they will have to find some way of explaining it and predicting it when it's done. So from that standpoint, I don't worry so much about that. Uh, well, the electron is here and here simultaneously. And <laughs> The sea turtles, thousands of miles apart, both get born at the same time, and there's communication and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that just seems to me kind of silly, but that's fine. I mean, I'm certainly willing to keep an open mind. It's just that that's pretty high standard of proof to say to me that uh, things are in the two things are in the like uh, something is is in uh, two places simultaneously. That seems to be more a problem of um, of recording the information than. Uh, because of course it doesn't explain when um, if matter at the base level at the atomic level is random how it's so incredibly stable at the sensual or the meta level, right? And that's the level that we're working at. Uh, I don't really, if, if, if matter is so unstable, why is it that I have the same personality from day to day, right? That electrical energy, uh, biochemical energy, doesn't change. <laughs> and if you've ever tried to change someone's mind through using logic, I think it's fair to say that uh, personality structures are fairly rigid and it's not easy to change people's minds, which would not speak that well to the randomness of matter. But also what we're talking about here is logic as derived from sensual reality, because this is all that people can deal with, right? So all that people can work with is sensual reality. So uh, uh, when it comes for me figuring out what makes sense in the world, what's logical, what's not, I can work with empirical sensual reality and the laws of logic. If there's something which requires 15 particle accelerators and a $12 trillion grant from the NSA, then it's sort of hard for me to say, well, I'm going to give up all of my sensual evidence and all of my capacity to reason because some physicist over there in, in some state-sponsored physics land has come up with something that he claims defies every single one of my senses, every single uh, scrap of my life's experience, uh, every single sense I have of my own identity, and every experiential thing that I've ever, that has ever occurred to me. If somebody comes and says, well, that's all false, 
because I got an electron to show up in two places at the same time, then I'm going to say, well, that's great for you. I think that's wonderful, but it's it's going to be a little bit more uh, work for you to say to me that my entire life experience uh, is null and void uh, because you've got something to occur in a particle accelerator uh, half a mile under the ground. Uh, sorry, that doesn't really cut it for me. That's very much akin to people saying, well, I had a religious vision and therefore you need to believe in God. I'd be like, well, check your check your lithium, check your sodium levels first, and then we'll talk, right? <laughs> but uh, I just don't have any, uh, any faith in it, right? Nobody is going to be able to uh, say to me that all of my sense data, uh, all of my life experience, all of the logic that I've worked out, that none of that is, um, is valid and uh, because something has occurred that I can't re-verify, right? Like if somebody says to me, well, you see, if you put the baking soda here and you put the magnesium over there, then suddenly you're able to be in two places simultaneously. I'd be like, holy crap, I'll give that a shot. Absolutely. But when it comes to this kind of physics, it's all completely unreproducible. And that really is taking, taking people's word on faith. That, uh, that it happened, that it's real, that it's reproducible, that it's verifiable, and, of course, that it, uh, it completely overrides. And I can't reproduce it. I mean, that, that is exactly the same as, as receiving religious visions, right? I saw God. I talked to God. Uh, so you need to um, get rid of everything that you've ever believed because I had... I just... I know that this is going into um, ground that is going to make me sort of sound like closed-minded and anti-physics or whatever. It's not the case at all. I have huge respect for physics. My God, scientific methods, <laughs> a scientific method, capitalism, the crowning achievements of mankind. But um, I just find that this noodly stuff where you get all these physics uh, texts that are out there which are used by people to deny sense experience and to sort of sort of indicate that matter is uh, weird and, and flexy and we can't be sure of anything. I just, that's not the point of physics. I think that's either a misinterpretation of what's going on at advanced uh, physics or it is uh, people who are uh, desperately clawing for government funds coming up with freaky stuff to get attention. That just seems to me the, the case. So, so don't worry so much about the advanced physics argument. Um, just ask people that if they can reproduce it in your living room or they can give you any way to reproduce it, then you will be more than happy to, to look at it. But otherwise, you're going to wait for the proof, right? I mean, you're going to wait for the proof. I think that's that would be a reasonable thing to say. Because otherwise, you can accept anything that anyone in a white coat says, right? You're back in Meldrum's experiment where people are shocking each other to death because someone in a white coat's telling them to. So uh, I don't uh, take that. You know, sense experience is pretty powerful. The stability of, of reality is exactly what you would expect from an objective and empirical universe. And so my basic uh, argument is that the laws of physics, sorry, the laws of logic, are entirely derived from the laws of physics and the laws of biology, I guess you could say, too, but more so the laws of physics. So A is A is your cat is your cat. I mean, that makes sense, right? And uh, the law of the excluded middle is that um, your cat is either your cat or it's something else. And the law of non-contradiction is your cat can't be both its cat and something else at the same time. right? It, it can be your cat, and then it can be a decomposing cat later, but it can't be uh, a lively, frisky cat and a decomposing cat at the same time. So basic laws. And so the same thing is true of your own personal identity. You are you. You are not both you and something else, and you are either you or you are something else. You can't sort of be both. And so it just seems to me that the laws of logic are not things that need to be taken on faith any more than the fact that you exist. So if somebody says, the fact that I exist, I do not need to take on faith, then because the laws of uh, uh, logic are entirely derived from 
one's own personal existence, then it would seem to me that uh, they no longer need, if they say, I don't need to have faith to believe that I exist, then they don't need to have faith in the laws of logic because it's self-evident, right? So there's, there's no one who can say to you, you have to take the laws of logic on faith. I mean, that's just nonsense. And um, if they don't like this whole, they get confused by the whole you are you and not a cat argument, then you can just talk about how the physical world works and say that if they believe that you have to take the laws of logic on faith, then um, uh, you can sort of say to them, okay, well, if you can be in two places simultaneously, like if you can be to my left and to my right simultaneously, then absolutely I'm going to realize that uh, there's something quite wrong with the laws of logic as as far as I understand them, and I'm perfectly willing to re-examine them and figure out what's going on. That makes sense to me. And uh, uh, so if they say, well, the law of identity doesn't work, it's like, well, if you can be both yourself and, you know, this, this glass of beer at the same time, uh, let me know. If you can sort of vanish, inhabit the glass of beer, speak to me from the lip, and then come back as yourself, then I think that would be pretty cool, oh, X-Men, and uh, let's, uh, let's talk about that. But if they can't do any of that, then it would seem to me that they have no right to say that the laws of logic have to be taken on faith. And finally, the laws of logic being taken on faith, to me, is very, very silly as a basic concept. Because if you say, well, the laws of logic have to be taken on faith, just like God, well, <laughs> sensual evidence proves every waking moment and most sleeping moments that the laws of logic are valid. And yet, we have never seen or experienced or talked to God or have any proof of God whatsoever. The existence of God, as I talked about in podcast 13 way back then, the existence of God denies every evidence of the senses and every postulate of logic. Whereas the laws of logic are perfectly derived from daily evidence, daily sensual evidence of the stability of material reality. And so, when I said at the beginning that um, the laws of logic were conditional, it's entirely true. They're conditional upon the facts of reality. Because the laws of logic are really laws of physics. That's all they are. They're laws of physics. They're the basis of physics. They're the basis of laws of logic are the basis of the scientific methodology, scientific method. So um, they are conditional upon the behavior of matter, and if matter tomorrow starts behaving in some completely contradictory manner, then we're going to have to revisit the laws of logic because they won't apply to anything anymore. Laws of logic will then apply universally about as much as the laws of the logic of your dreams applies to everyone else. Right? I can fly, therefore everyone can fly. Therefore flight is possible. I mean, it can fly in my dreams. Of course, that wouldn't make any sense. So I hope that this has been helpful. We'll talk a little bit more about it this afternoon. But uh, don't worry about, uh, I mean, people who say you've got to take the laws of logic on faith, just like God, uh, just, um, they're making no sense. And so you can just come back to them with the rebuttals that are in here and let me know how your conversations go. We've got another donation this morning from a good friend who's donated before. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I look forward to your donation at www.freedomainradio.com. Just click on the donate button and have your visa or PayPal account handy. Thank you so much.